Hello, and welcome to the Wicked Ones podcast. Thank you so much for listening in again. This is still Jen. And this is still Tara. Yeah, thanks. If you guys have been around for a while, that's really awesome of you. Thank you for hanging with us as we figure this whole thing out. This has been so fun. Um, And we we hope it's been just as fun for you to kind of maybe find us in your own way. Because I don't know how you're finding us out there. We don't really know anything about what we're marketing or what we're doing. Apparently, if you search us, we don't (laughs) exist. So welcome back. Yeah, so welcome. So you found, you know, the Diamond in the Rough True Crime podcast, hopefully, right? One that you were like looking forward to just I as much so. as yeah oh man I I know we work really hard on these stories and it takes us a while to put it together and it's I look forward to to telling you the story every week and so you know it's a lot of uh it's a lot of work and it's a little scary and putting yourself out there and exciting all at the same time but as I hope people enjoy this as much as we en- enjoy mm-hmm. it yeah if that makes sense yeah yeah so welcome welcome Thank you so much for listening. Give us a shout out if you're out there. Find us on find us on Instagram. Find us on Facebook. We're not in a whole lot of places, but, you know, we're new. But if you find us, I promise that you will hear from us because <laughs> we don't get a lot of a lot of interaction. So we please don't. find we us. We appreciate it. Yeah. We, we want to connect it. to our people. And I hope everyone is surviving these last weeks of 2020. I mean, we're going out with a bang. Julia broke her arm. <laughs> she's broke a tooth. We just had our garage door replaced today. It's been, it's been interesting. I every, just every day, one thing after another. Twenty twenty. We just need to get it out of here. So I hope everyone is surviving their last few weeks, and I I hope that when twenty twenty one comes, we can rejoice. Yeah, yeah. And the story you're going to be telling me today, I cannot wait. I know you've been feeding me little teasers. Oh, I know. And it's killing me. (laughs) If you haven't realized, I usually feed you teasers to get input from the other end. I'm like, oh, da-da-da-da. And then I wait to hear if you go, oh, yeah, I bet you're going to do. And when you don't I haven't responded like that. I'm like, oh, no, I'm just going to keep it to myself. I'm not going to make any guesses because I I want to be surprised. Mm -hmm. Well, I hope you are surprised. This is a good one. And honestly, like, when I dug into the story... I mean, I had so many feels from this, so much emotion from so many different angles and perspectives, from immediate family and friends to two generations of police officers working in this case to get it solved. I cannot wait. My heart, I'm just, and the close community, oh, it just, it's a good one. Are you ready? I'm ready. Tell me more, Dive Dive right in. Okay, so my story begins in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. Yes! Do you know it? I do, but I can't wait to hear everything. Oh, it's good. It's good. I mean, it's sad and it's it's tragic and awful, but it's just, it's such a good ending to the story. I mean, just, just, here we yeah. go. Tell me. So, my story begins today in Cedar Rapids, Iowa with the Martinko family. October 6, 1961 was a day of extreme joy and celebration for Albert and Janet Martinko after suffering through five miscarriages. Right? Janet's in her 40s. So sad. Their second little miracle baby, Michelle, was born. Janelle, her big sister, 12 years old at the time, remembers the excitement really well. She also looks back fondly on the memory of her little sister walking down the aisle as the flower girl in her wedding. Because obviously they were 12 years apart. It's like me and my brother. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a big difference there. I mean, you you know, it's almost like you you helped raise that. He had a second mom he did not appreciate. (laughs) (laughs) Right? You, like, raised your brother. 
Um, but that's, you know, I mean, my brother and I were only six years apart. I still feel like, I still feel like I helped a lot. You know, I remember mm-hmm. I was babysitting at a pretty young age. Like right now I'm kind of like, oh, I can't leave the kids alone. And then it's kind of, well, gosh, I was babysitting at probably what, 10, 11, you know? So. Yeah. So Janelle recalls that when Michelle was 12, she was diagnosed with scoliosis and she had to wear a brace from her hips to her neck and she was super self-conscious. Right? I'm sure. That had to have been really hard. It's a hard age anyways, really much less hard. to wear, like, a body brace. I mean, that would be right around our kids, you know, in middle school. And middle schoolers can be so mean. And... Stella would not handle that well. No. She wouldn't wear the brace. Oh, yeah, probably not. <laughs> Stella no. would put on the brace and she would leave and she would take the brace off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I can see it now. No, I mean, and I think back then, I mean, I was playing every sport I could sign up for at that age. I can't imagine. Oh, they're so active. Yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine not being able to move and what that would have been like at school. Oh, so my heart, my heart goes out to her at that age. It's just so hard. But, you know, two years wearing the brace, age 14, she's able to remove it. And Janelle remembered that everything changed for her then, right? I'm sure it did. She remembers that Farrah Fawcett was a big deal, so... I imagine Charlie's Angels was probably out around that time, and it was a big deal. Um, Her brother-in-law, John, recalled that she was beautiful. She was completely unaware of the attention she was getting from the young men around her, and her friends recall that she was just impossible to miss. She was striking. She was super kind. She was just a really nice person. So it just, you can picture it, right? And actually, I have a, I have a photo for you. So this is her with her Farrah Fawcett hair. Oh, this is totally the time. Right? Totally. That hair is amazing. Yeah. Look at that. I know. I pictured, like, blowing that out with, like, and then she's the hair She spray. was so pretty. Very she was pretty. gorgeous. I have more pictures of her for you for later. But she had a very pretty smile. She does. Just genuine, right? She just looks happy. Absolutely. And it was also around this time that she started dating. She met a boy named Andy Seidel, who was a year older than her at 16. I believe I read that they met at the roller rink. Kind of reminds me back in the day, the roller rink. Oh, know, gosh. So much so... fun. So she was 15 at the time that they met. They dated for a few years, and then they broke up. Andy didn't take it well. He was still a little possessive, always had to know who she was with and who she was dating or what she was doing. Not the first time we've heard of a, of a, an ex-boyfriend. So did they stay friends when you say that? I believe Or did he just did. keep tabs on her? I think both. I mean, didn't really say a whole lot. I didn't really go into that whole relationship, but I think both, right? Because he was always around. I'm sure he had to try to find a way to insert himself into her life. Maybe in, a little bit in the same friend circle, but still keeping mm-hmm. an eye on her. Yeah. Yeah. Like, well, if I can't have her, I guess I'll be friends with her, and well, maybe something will happen someday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So actually, here's a picture of Michelle and Andy at the prom. Okay. He was like the big sports car guy, kind of flashy. Oh my gosh. One, one of this those guys. hair and the mustache. <laughs> right. right. So, it's amazing. I know. Um, so they went to prom and they both attended Cedar Rapids Kennedy High School. She was an above average student, but was a very talented performer. She was a member of the twirling squad as a sophomore. She sang in the choir and performed in the theater. And she was 18 and a senior in high school. She had plans to attend Iowa State University, and she was going to study interior design. I have an interesting side note. Okay, picture my mom. Oh, my God. Sorry. What? What? No, no. And I, I, I just, I'm having all these flashbacks from this story. When I was, Are you? And I, 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 yes. So I, yes. Okay, go on. Okay. A little bit. Okay. So picture Cindy, my mom, right? 
She was actually an amazing baton twirler. Can you imagine her in the sequin outfit, baton twirling? I mean, my when I was younger, oh, I could see your mom bringing it. Oh my gosh, she was. She would. Awesome. I could see her bring it. Yeah, and she doesn't talk about it. She never talks about it, but I see, I remember, I still remember the day that I went down underneath, like, you know, like how old houses have like the understair storage. Mm -hmm. And I was, I think I was playing hide and seek. So I go into the little itty bitty door. It's like the size of me. Right. And I open it up and I'm like, it's perfect size for me to hide. And there's all these trophies that were bigger than I was. Pictures, all sorts of stuff in there. That's so sweet. I know. I know. I still remember. I was like, mom, is that you? She's like, oh yeah. Yeah. She doesn't really talk about it, but I mean, from from listening to everybody else, she was amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, I know, right? Pretty cool. Um, and so then I was just I had a lot of respect because I was an athlete, and here I thought my mom didn't know, know anything. Didn't yeah, but she did. She, she did. was good. I can see that. Yeah. So shout out to my mom. She was amazing. Um. So okay. So back to the story. <laughs> December, December of her senior year. It had arrived, and just six days before Christmas, Michelle left a choir banquet, and she drove to the Westdale Mall. So she she's a jacket all... that her mom had on right away. Yes. So you know. <laughs> Damn it, Jen. I can't control myself. <laughs> yes. So you do know it. But so I she's do. all dressed up, right? She's. This is one of the stories that I told you about. I I read it, and I immediately was like, DNA is amazing. Yes. Yes. I told you about this one. Not the name yeah. of the story or anything, but, but just I was about, like, this is how it happened. Yeah. Like, not in detail, but yeah, this is one of those, those like, crazy oh, yeah. rant texts. But this is an exciting, it's exciting, yeah. right? Go just ahead. the whole, oh, my Sorry. God. I don't oh, want no, to no, no, okay. <laughs> But it's crazy. Yeah, no, that's okay. And if you out there know the story, keep listening anyway, because there's some good tips. Oh, it's so good. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, so she goes to the mall. She's all dressed up in her little black dress, super cute, already, you know, from a, from her banquet. The mall was new, only a few months old, so very popular hangout. Several of her friends also went there that night. She went in specifically to see about that winter coat you just mentioned that her mom had put a, put away um, on layaway for her. Remember layaway? Do they oh still gosh, have layaway? Right? Do they? I can't imagine. I still remember we layaway. would do layaway. But like, that, that yes, and when I heard that, I was like, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. So she was she was planning to pay to pay the coat off and take it home. So she brought. About $186 in cash with her to get the coat. But ultimately, she decided she didn't want it after all. Um, she, she ran into... She did a little shopping, it sounded like, and she ran into a few male friends while she was there. Andy, her ex-boyfriend. And Tracy Price, a friend that she sang with in the choir. He was there, too. He noticed that she... He mentioned in this interview that I watched on 48 Hours that she had a lot of cash with her. And he was, you know, he was kind of being protective of her and wanted her to be really careful not to flash it around. And he also mentioned that he found out later after that night that she had been anxious. She kind of told a friend that she was nervous to go to the mall alone. She felt like she was being followed, that kind of a thing. But when asked, he said he didn't he didn't get that feeling from her and he didn't feel like she was like anybody was really. She was not easy. No. So when she finished shopping, she headed out to her car, which was parked pretty far away. When I was watching the special they showed kind of where she parked away from JCPenney, and it was a, it was a quite a long walk, actually, to be taking, you know, by yourself, alone in the dark. I mean, it's almost 10 p.m., which is when the mall closed, so super dark, December, Iowa, freezing cold. Um, and I, I can't even tell you how many times as a manager at the Westfield Mall in St. Louis when I worked mm-hmm. there, I cannot tell you how many times I closed the store by myself with a huge packet of cash from the register. 
right? Thousands of dollars sometimes. That has to be dropped, yeah. That had to be dropped at the bank. That was never, it was never lit. It was always super dark in the parking lot. Mine was like the last car. I mean, I think about this when I went with the story and I think then I had to get into my car and I had to go to the bank not far away, which was not very well lit either and make the drop. I can't believe that we're all still alive. I can't believe I it. It's well, crazy. I can't believe that they would ask that of us. I mean, we were all young women I think working it's still alone. happening though. I was hope I hope I hope not. They need a better then system. What are they doing? I mean, I remember too, like the same thing, like going down this long back employee only corridor, right? Like this mile long hallway where yes. I could have been hiding anywhere to kill anybody. Us. Yes, I was totally. blissfully unaware, remember. walking around in the dark mm-hmm. by myself. It's so mm-hmm. scary to think about now. It's so scary. Well, just the other night, a bunch of all the the lights were out in the parking lot at the hospital, and I called Steve. Of course, he didn't answer. Um, which I don't know if it would matter or not, but, uh, I was like, all the freaking lights are you know, in the I'm parking lot. I, I probably should have called you. I'm probably. But my car was parked all the way at the end yeah. near the forest you never enter. Mm. And you just, yeah. I mean, it's dark. It's... Obviously I was fine because I'm telling you this story today, but it's still like you walk outside and it's 11 yeah. o'clock at night and it's yeah. freaking pitch black. All right. And you're walking into an abyss of darkness. I need to get it's you not my... normally. It's not normally like that. But it was like something yeah. must have happened. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I could have called security to walk me to my car. Like, There's so many shut out the light because they were planning on... I mean, you never know. But like... Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. educating our children and future generations. Yeah. I'm like, never, never, never. Oh, I'm getting you, like, a little kit that I take. Like, sometimes when I walk Tucker, I've got my mace on me, and my... I put it in, like, the little... I used to have mace. You know, the little zipper pouch for the dog poop thing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's where my mace goes. I keep an extra handcuff key in there, just in case. I don't know. You never know. You never you know. And then I have, like, this tool that my dad gave me, and it's, like, it's, it's, hard. it's really hard. It's, like, steel. So you could, like, if you could use it in an attack, or it's also a knife. I actually, and this sounds probably crazy, and this is a huge side note, so I'll shut up quickly, but I wanted to find someone who had one of those trunks. Yeah. Or have a trunk that we can lock the kids in so they can practice getting out. Getting out. And that's so funny because we were watching. Because we don't have one of those. Psych. The other day, the show that my kids are like loving watching with me, and I'm so excited because it's like a show that we can all watch and enjoy that's not a cartoon, but yeah, it's, you know, it's like mini detective stuff. and. There was an episode where Sean gets locked in the trunk and kicks it out. And Ava has been talking about it for weeks. She's like, now I know how to get out of a car if I'm ever... And I'm like, oh, that would be really no, good No, we need to, to shut you in a trunk yeah. and you need to practice getting yeah. out. Absolutely. So we need to find someone. It's a great idea. Who will oh. let us borrow their car with the trunk. But anyways. We're on, I... we're on it. Wow. We really went off on a tangent there. But come on. every There's got to be like a lot of people out there no, that know exactly what we're talking about. When you're walking about. Like, to your car and you're... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. So, sadly, in the early morning hours of December 20th, Michelle's body was found, curled into the passenger seat floorboard of her family's 1972 Tan Parks in that parking lot. So sad. Every single officer in Cedar Rapids was called to the scene that morning. The detective in charge of the case at the time, Harvey Denlinger, who's now retired, said, and I quote, I had never seen anybody stabbed that many times. Something like that was unheard of around here. She suffered multiple stab wounds, 29, at least eight to her chest and face alone, which 
led police to believe that this was a personal attack. Mm -hmm. Like, this was personal in nature. It just seemed like that. That and the fact that nothing had been stolen. She still had all the cash on her. There was a bag with a few purchased items in the back seat that wasn't taken. The autopsy showed that she had not been sexually assaulted. However, defensive wounds on her hands and body showed that she had fought her attacker. So the motive just wasn't exactly clear. Right. Police didn't have any solid evidence. They did find rubber glove indentations in the dirt surrounding the vehicle and also inside the car in blood. But they had zero fingerprints, no witnesses, and very little in the way of leads. So although the crime scene was soaked in blood, DNA technology was years away, and they just didn't have anything to go on. But they kept it. Thank God, because... And this is something I think I wrote down later. It's just that all these cold cases, think about all this evidence that's just that was sitting there that could have just been tossed or who knows, right? But mm-hmm. they they kept they all kept these. It. They kept it. God. Oh my gosh. I can't wait to tell you about how I told you about this story. And you're going to be like, that's right. Oh my gosh. And I probably had no idea this was the story. So Michelle's death shocked the town. Students at her school remember well that it seemed to shatter their all-American image that they had. The people, probably more than that, what they felt they had, right? People were scared. They thought... If something like this could happen and the killer could get away with it, what's next? You know, anything Absolutely. could happen. Anything is possible. It's very scary. So Mike Weirich, a friend of Michelle's, says he remembers it well, too. He had once dated Michelle, and the police, of course, questioned every single male at the school and otherwise that knew her. So even though that Mike was 100 miles away at college at the time of the murder, he remembers being very intimidated and scared. He recalled that they were very tough at him, and at one point they thought he wasn't being quite truthful, so they laid out the crime scene photos in front of him, mm-hmm. and he said that was that was really hard. Can you even imagine? You're this young college kid. You're being questioned in a murder investigation, and then they put these photos in front of you? I think because they thought it was a crime of passion, they were going hard yeah. after her boyfriends. Oh, I think so, Or too. former boyfriends. Well, they thought it was very personal, and yeah. that's why. And it sounds like it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I agree. They were definitely not easy mm-hmm. on those guys. They definitely weren't. They definitely weren't. And then, of course, there was Andy, right? The ex-boyfriend. The prom date that I mentioned. He happened to run into Michelle at the mall earlier that night. And unfortunately, his only alibi was his mom. And we all know. You can't really use moms. You really can't. Moms will do just about anything for their kids. So keep that in mind, right? So she said that he had arrived um, arrived home shortly after the mall closed that evening. He had also been known to have taken their breakup very hard, as I mentioned. So friends remember he was super emotional at the funeral. Gail Dawson, a classmate, remembers that he was sobbing, and he was almost inside the casket with his arms around her, right? He, oh. was, he was that emotional at the That's funeral. tragic. It is tragic. And he had said to Gail, and I quote from her, she said, I have to know who she loved when she died. Does she love me or Mike? Who did she love when she died? So you can just imagine this emotional wreck of, right? I mean, it's just so sad. Andy, stop making it about you. Oh, wow. I wasn't going there. (laughs) He had to know who she loved? Ah, She's dead, Andy. I know. Sorry. But But I understand. But he obviously still had so many feelings. He was very correct. He he couldn't help it. I no, that's okay. It's just, hey, we see we th- we see things differently <laughs> all the time. <laughs> I'm all like, poor Andy. You're like, stop it. <laughs> um, 
But, you know, in the crime world, right? The husband, the boyfriend, the girlfriend, 90% of the time, they did it. So Andy was definitely high on the list of suspects in, in her case, right? And Gail mentioned that a large number of people in the town thought Andy did it. The immediate family also felt that it was only a matter of time before he was arrested and charged, but police didn't have any evidence that led to Andy, so he was cleared as well. He left Cedar Rapids not long after, and he joined the Navy. And can you imagine? Which almost seems incriminating. It does seem kind of, well, because you left town, yeah. right? You couldn't. But I don't know that I could be in a town But either. they were at an age where they were growing up. Yeah. So, like, that's the age where everyone was leaving. So oh, yeah. So it was less incriminating, but... Less incriminating, but in a situation such as this where everyone in the town thinks that you're guilty, I'm sure it looked even worse, mm-hmm. right? Sadly, even though the police kept plugging away and never gave up, the case grew cold, and by 1986, no one had any other leads to look at. So every avenue seemed completely exhausted, and they just couldn't find a way to move forward. Family was saddened and frustrated, as you can well imagine. It just seemed like they had basically unturned every stone and angle, but still nothing. So two decades later. Yes. Right? Nope, not yet. (laughs) Almost a yes. Almost. What is coming? In 2005, Detective Doug Larison is now in charge. Interestingly enough, and this is kind of cool, he went to high school with Michelle. They happened to be classmates, and although he didn't know her personally, her murder deeply affected him, just as it did everybody that went to the school at that time. They all remember. So, I mean, and especially for a police officer, I'm sure he's been on his mind all these years. I think any type of death like that yeah. in your class, whether yeah. you know them personally or not, is very tragic yeah. and will stick with you forever. Forever. I mean, like I said, it probably changed the entire community. They just, everything. Absolutely. It, was, it, was, it must have been really hard. So Detective Larson, he wants to give it a shot, see if he can get a fresh perspective. He dug back through the case files, and he happened to discover that another detective at one point had sent blood scrapings from the gear shift of the car to the lab for testing. But it seemed that no one had followed up. This didn't seem too surprising to him, which I thought was surprising, right? That nobody noticed. But he's just said that the different investigators didn't always network with one another, and so things tend to get lost or put aside. I try to keep in mind, DNA back then didn't really mean a whole lot. I don't think it meant anything it to didn't. them. So they didn't. So it wasn't as important to follow up on as it is now. Right. right? Today that's like, what? Yes. Are you kidding oh, no. me? Like, I know. I had to like take a step back and think, okay, what this was, was 19, whatever. At, this is probably back in the 90s when this happened or, you know, I don't know. It was, it was sitting on ice for so long. Who knows when the, yeah. when it was sent in, but. Lucky for Larison, he found the report, and not only did the gear shift blood have DNA, it was male DNA. So obviously it wasn't hers. Another, yes. Mm-hmm. Another, like, okay. So, like, they're crawling forward on this case. It's not really getting anywhere fast, but they're crawling forward. So They're then, making progress, which making does progress. not necessarily happen in a lot of cold cases. This box of evidence is still sitting in there, and everyone is keeping it you know, on, in their minds. Like, what mm-hmm. can we do to, to help? What can we move? I just, I love that. They could have put it in the back room and never looked at it again, but they didn't choose to do that. Nope. Good job, Cedar Rapids police. Woo. Way to go. So he then sends in her dress from evidence and another spot of blood on her dress is a match with the blood from the gear shift. So now they have a full DNA profile. Okay. He was super excited about this new lead, but they still had a lot of work to do. 
At least DNA technology and forensic science had come a long way since 1979. They had CODIS. So they send it off to CODIS and they wait. So as it gets run through the nationwide uh, criminal database, you know, hoping that the assailant has an arrest record somewhere out there. But guess what? No hits. Nothing comes back. Nothing comes back. Zero. They don't get a hit back to square one. But at least they still have this DNA. So they start with the locals. All the suspects that originally were interviewed, um, they collect. They start collecting samples. So they end up collecting samples from over 100 people. I, I didn't write down the exact number. I want to say it was about 160 people. Yeah, and people. people were very willing. They were. I mean, the town really wanted to figure this right. out. People right. People came forward and like, take my DNA. Absolutely. So Mike and Tracy were tested, the two I mentioned, the friends from the, you know, that she, uh, Mike, who she had dated, and Tracy from the mall, came up negative. So then Larison goes to the suspect at the top of everybody's list. Andy. Andy. So Andy Seidel, he's still living in his hometown all this time, knowing that everyone thought he was Michelle's killer. So Detective Larison says, and I quote, listen, Andy, if you give us your DNA and it doesn't match, then you're eliminated. You're cleared. So he voluntarily gave it, and Andy is eliminated. The DNA was not a match. God, can you imagine? I'm sure that day... <sighs> right? He had to be just so happy to have his name officially, like, crossed off sure. that list. Because he... I would have named it with him, too, because he was a jealous, possessive ex-boyfriend. Yeah. So he fit the he fit the, he profile. fit the profile so well. Michelle's parents always thought it was Andy. And I always they probably were disappointed that it wasn't. Oh. But they had like super her high parents hopes. died thinking that it was Andy. They did. They did. They passed away before they could find out that he didn't do it. So basically, but it wasn't he her was... brother that was alive. Her brother? Brother or sister? Her sister, Janelle, and her brother-in-law. Yes, so yes, brother Janelle and John. Correct, correct. Because mm-hmm. her brother-in-law was a suspect at one time. Oh, you know, I didn't even, I didn't even, it didn't really talk much about how he was a suspect at all, but I'm sure he was cleared as well. I think Andy was still their, their numero uno. He know? was, but I do believe he had to be cleared as well during Oh, I'm DNA. sure. I'm sure every man and yeah. that knew her yeah. at all had to go through this whole this whole thing. So, I mean, but how do you deal with that? Knowing everywhere you go and you're still living in this town for 27 I years. can't even imagine what he felt. I know. You're living under a shadow. Everybody thinks this. That's awful. Sorry, Andy. So you know? many years. I hope so, so many years. Hopefully things are back on, you know, back on track and I don't know. But so after a, another frustrating decade, I mean, we're talking, we're not talking about this in years. We're talking about this in decades. Right? This is crazy. So, Larison had to hang it up. He, he'd been working on this case for so long, he finally just said, I need to be replaced on this case. Like, I've just been running into wall after wall after wall. And I'm sure, it, right? Fresh eyes. Yeah. At some point, you just don't even know where to turn. So, in 2015, a new lead detective is assigned to Michelle's case. And it is second generation police detective Matt Denlinger. Harvey's son. Mm-hmm. How awesome, right? So cool. Oh my god. The original detective that arrived on that horrific scene, Matt was only five years old at the time of Michelle's murder, would grow up to father to follow in his father's footsteps on the police force and would take over where he left where every basically where everyone left off 36 years later. It's so crazy. Like, don't you have goosebumps from that? So it's, cool. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing. So Matt digs into the case. He goes, 
back to the DNA profile, what else could they possibly learn at this point, right? Technology has advanced a little bit further. He does his research and he decides to send it off to Virginia's Parabon Nanolabs. So for those of you who don't know, Parabon is a company that develops nanopharmaceuticals and they also provide DNA phenotyping services for law enforcement. So by sending it here, he's hoping to get some idea of what the killer might have looked like. Eye color, hair color, race, that kind of thing. So he, he said actually that in, in the interview when they were interviewing him that he that it was just it just seemed a little sci-fi, but he knew that it could be possible. So he had to try anything to move the case forward, right? Yeah. He was ready to do whatever. So creepy could. but cool. Mm-hmm. And I just want to take a moment to remind you that all of our sources are listed on our website. One of my favorite ones for this one was an interview that was done um, 48 hours with Jamie Yukis. I hope I'm pronouncing her last name right, but she did such a great job. Like the, everything that I read from from the interview and that I saw was just amazing. But so I definitely want to make sure that I'm I'm saying that source out loud. There's a few other others that I used, but hers was by far fantastic. So thank you for an amazing reporting job, Jamie. She did she did a really good job. Um, but yeah, so we thought this was super sci-fi, but you know, here they are, they had to try. So look at this. I'm gonna find this for you real fast. Okay, so here is what came back. So that's what came back, which is crazy, right? That's so cool. They learned that their suspect is a white male with blonde hair and blue eyes. And I mean, this is an age progression, correct? So no, actually, they just they didn't know what his hair might have looked like, so they just did several different possibilities for what he could have looked like at at, at that time. Doesn't it look like like youngest or older? It kind of does. Maybe and maybe they did a little bit of that, but it's just like what he would look like if he was twenty, opposed yeah. to thirty, opposed to forty. Like what kind of hairstyle mm-hmm. he would have, mm-hmm. and like yeah, yeah. And I'm sure they were kind of saying like here's an overall, but you know, I don't know how exact those really are. So they learn, so obviously they learned that their suspect is a white male with blonde hair, blue eyes, which is not, not like a jackpot because <laughs> that, that could describe, you know, half of Iowa. Um, but they were, I mean, they're basically looking for a needle in a haystack at this point from 36 years ago. But the town remembered they wanted this guy. They wanted this guy bad. The police received hundreds of calls and tips. Anyone that ever fit this description that walked into their town was a suspect. So instead of helping, it just confused them more. You know, they're getting all these tips. They don't even know which which direction to go. Anyone that had blonde hair and blue eyes was a suspect. So it's that point where they get so many tips, they can't even check them all out. And no. they're even maybe disregarding the important ones because exactly. you don't have the time or the... Exactly. So... The resources to check out every single one. Mm-hmm. Yep. But then, and I know you remember this, Jen... 2018, do you remember what happened? I do. Go ahead. Well, I, that's when like Ancestry.com and all of those became popular and they submitted the DNA and they got a hit on a family member. They did. And do you know what made them think of this? What case? Probably the BTK. The Golden State Killer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Joseph D'Angelo was arrested. The Golden State Killer was finally caught after decades of evading authorities. And this was huge, right? So law enforcement is seeing this in action. They're seeing what they did. And they're like, whoa, genetic genealogy could give us answers. And we have DNA. We're going to try this next. So you're right. They send it off. 
and they and they go back to Parabon and they took the first sample. Basically, Parabon just kept that first sample that they had, and they're like, all right, cool, we're gonna run this through another database this time called GEDmatch, right? Which is like those Ancestry.com. Right, because I don't think Ancestry.com participates in this. I don't believe so. I know there's only a few. There's only that a do. couple that do, correct. Was it one, two, three, and me? Is that another yes. one that does yes. maybe participate? Correct. So I mean it's really some have are protected where like you yeah. can't be found yeah. out in any sense. But. So even though we don't do um advertisements, if you want to give your family members a really cool gift this Christmas, you could do get one of those. Get your shit encoded. Yeah. Get your get your DNA you encoded. You never know what you could you could help, help solve. solve a crime. Yeah. But I love this. This is one of the first stories that I had ever heard that was that this helped with. I like mind blown. I know. I was over the moon. Had, Every time I heard it, I was like, take that. Yes. Oh. Yes. I, this whole story. I was just, oh, I had goosebumps like yeah. writing this story. I was just, if I was there. Like, oh, I know. I know. Don't you, doesn't it just make you want to be one of those people that like, okay, my job is to go through every cold case file and grab every DNA and I, I just will all day run it through the database all day long. Well, and I'm just, just and let's get them. Let's well, not get only these that, people. I'm like, listen here, you assholes who thought you got away with it. Mm-hmm. We're coming for you. Yeah. You've been sitting there pretty and now you're yeah. old as shit and you thought you got away with it. Mm-hmm. But you didn't. But you didn't. So I hope you're sweating. Oh, I do. Because technology really... is coming for you. Oh, yeah. And you know what? We know you're tired. You're tired out there. You're, and you're going to be caught pretty soon. You yeah. won't have to worry anymore. So, I know that's a little. But, yes. So, hopefully they are sweating. And hopefully it's just a matter of time before the police show up at their door. Absolutely. Yep. Every every single case that we can help with. Every single one. But, anyways, one. tell me more. Because so. I'm sure there's is some bits that I don't Oh, know. yeah, yeah. I know there's more. So, July of 2018, they come back with good news. They have a relative of the killer on file, a single mom in Washington named Brandy Jennings. So, Detective Denlinger spends months working on her family tree, combing every birth and gravestone record they could find, putting this all together. More and more of her relatives provided their DNA, and they began to fill in the pieces, right? They got Mm -hmm. the... They got the puzzle out there. They're just filling it in. So once again, Parabon comes into play. They run everything through their system to help narrow things down a bit further. And they do. They find three brothers in Manchester, Iowa that are a match. The trail circles all the way back to Iowa once again, only 20 minutes away. Comfort zone killer, anyone? Jen? Yeah. 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 And if if I'm saying this correctly, typically they don't leave the area. They stay there. He stayed there his whole... His whole... Fucking life. life. His whole life. Yeah. His whole life. So by October that same year, they have it narrowed down to these three, and they are all still alive. And here they are. And look at that compared to the Parabon. I wonder who it is. Right? Look at this. Oh, my God. That's crazy. Hold on to that picture. So I've never seen pictures, so this is exciting. Right? Isn't that cool? Yeah. That's amazing. Add glasses to that Paragon picture and you've got Spot his on. high school photo. Spot on. It's amazing. Like you guys, please you guys look it up. If you have a chance to, please look up this this Can profile we put these sketch. On our... Yeah, maybe. Yeah, let's put it on our website. 
Uh, or a link to yeah or maybe a link link. we'll put the link somehow you'll be able to find these photos Mm because it is crazy how spot on this picture they created of the potential killer Mm -hmm. and the actual photo are like i wish for christmas i could send in my dna to parabon and be like give me a picture (laughs) (laughs) i just want to see that's insane yeah isn't that that, that's so freaking the information your dna holds i love it so now they need to collect dna so they follow one of them to lunch Take his straw. The second brother, they find a toothbrush in his garbage. And the third, Jerry, they follow him to a pizza restaurant in Manchester and they take his straw as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, these people think that they're, you know, like you said, they're getting away with it. But mm-hmm. guess what? Once you throw something away in the garbage, because whether it's, it becomes public, it becomes property. public property, whether it's on your curb mm-hmm. or whether it's in the pizza joint, it is not yours anymore. No. They try so. to use that as a. Mm-hmm. Way yeah. of getting you everything. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, you didn't have a warrant. Guess yeah. what? Yeah. yeah. You had no right to take my DNA. Yeah. I remember that part of it. So all three samples are sent off. And bingo. Jerry Burns is an exact match. Piece of garbage. Yep. So that's young Jerry at 25. That's what he would have looked like in 1979. And it, it's crazy. It seems surreal, right? Burns had no connection to Michelle. He had no criminal record. He was a respected businessman at the time of the murder with a wife and kids. It just didn't seem to add up. But DNA, DNA says it's a match. As fate would have it, Detective Matt Denlinger is able to choose a very specific date to head up to Manchester to his business office for the interview. Mm -hmm. December 19th, 2018, 39 years to the day of her murder. Goosebumps again, right? So good. So he did this on purpose, hoping to catch him off guard, rattle him a little bit. He used a hidden camera in his coffee mug and he tried to get a confession. Now when he asked Jerry why his DNA was found at the crime scene, Jerry says, I don't know. When asked if he went to the Westdale Mall, Jerry said, oh yeah, we've gone to the Westdale Mall, sure. He pressed him on what happened that night again, I don't know. Confession or not, DNA evidence was enough to arrest him for the murder. And on the way back to Cedar Rapids in the back of the squad car, Detective Denlinger asked him again, this time saying, do you think it's possible this happened and you don't remember any of it? Right? I mean, it's clever to give them a different rationale to find a different way to talk to them about it. Get them, oh, yeah. get them talking. That's all I they have to do. more than one visit, too, get did it? Talking. Did they mention that? It, they didn't mention it. I believe it was like two visits. It was like two visits. I I believe I'm I'm almost positive. Like the first time he was like, "Don't come back unless you can hmm. prove." And they had already like in their they already had the proof, mm-hmm. and they were like, "Okay." Oh yeah, no. So either way, a judge said DNA, grab him. Right? Yeah, he's he's all yours. But Jerry says, "I'm sure something like that could happen. It could be possible. You you block things out of your memories. What a piece of shit. Really, you're gonna." You know what? You're right. Like that's totally gonna happen, and I forgot about it. I, you know what? I can always stab a young teen girl multiple times and in the just, face and chest. You know, you're right. That's just gonna that's that like could have happened. Stopping at the Walgreens. I'm that's just gonna crazy. forget about it. I don't think so, Jerry. No, no. So for Detective Denlinger, one thing was, you know, his gut told him that the fact that this guy wasn't denying it, he didn't give any other explanation. They had their guy from the beginning. He didn't deny it. They had their guy. Yeah. So Jerry's arrested on the anniversary of Michelle Martinko's death. So, that's her, so maybe they did visit him before this and then, but I didn't, I didn't find that. 
and they charged him with first-degree murder. He pleaded not guilty. So after listening to almost two weeks of testimony in which the defense claimed that there wasn't substantial evidence that Burns' DNA was retrieved from his blood, saying that it could have been saliva transferred to skin cells from him being at the same mall, that the DNA basically just could, isn't enough to implicate him. He didn't have an alibi for the night of the murder, but really, I mean, 39 years ago, you're not going to remember what you were doing. I so I don't expect... Two there, weeks right, ago. No, I don't expect there to be I an alibi. I have to look at the date and... Right. Summon memories. Right. No. Ask other people where they were. Absolutely. Like you, yeah. So not that, not that anybody expected there to be one, but he suggested that he and his family had been to the mall, possibly. DNA could have been left behind and transferred onto Michelle that night, just from them being to the mall at some point, right? Just because they, they may, may have visited. Um, so Nick May Maybanks for the prosecution noted that even though Michelle interacted with several friends that night, the night of her death, including at the very mall, none of their, their DNA, DNA was found at the crime scene. Right. There you go. So ending an argument with the fact that the only way his DNA could have ended up in two spots on that crime scene was if Burns himself was the murderer. So a jury of seven women and five men deliberated for just shy of three hours. And they had their verdict. Guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Clap, 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 clap. Take that, Jerry. So finally, justice for the family, friends, classmates, the entire town, the police department, and all those officers that never gave up and kept kept the case alive, right? Like, kudos They could have given up on this decades ago. It's amazing. Yeah, I know. I love it. I just love it, and I hope that these stories are coming out and more people are getting, like, that fresh, let's do this. Let's get a cold case division, even if they have a small police force. Hey, let's hire, hire one guy. Right? Yeah, hire us. We'll do <laughs> hire it. Hire me. We'll do it. I will dig through your files. Mm -hmm. So for Janelle and John Stonebreaker, Michelle's sister and brother-in-law, they said they were whooping and hollering and hugging. They were so incredibly excited, as they should be. Congratulations. You finally have answers and... Closure. Closure. Yeah. On the flip side, I feel terrible that Jerry's family and friends and their community, they're going through all of this anew, right? Shock, disbelief. His daughter Jennifer and son Donald don't believe it. They really, truly don't believe it. They're like, how could this man who was so loving and always there for his family have done these things, right? They have so many questions. And I just, my heart goes out to them too. Because but we that's see awful. that. Yeah, we do. We see that split. Yeah, we do. Yes, we do. So there's that angle, which really makes me sad. Um, and there's a few things that I really want to note here, too. So you're probably wondering the same thing that I was. What did he have to say for himself, right? Like, why did he do it? Or what was his reaction to going to prison for the crime that he says he didn't commit, right? Because I'm, like, expecting something, like, outrage or I didn't do this or... yeah. There's none of that. He doesn't do anything. No. Because he's guilty. Because he's guilty. Exactly. He was tired and he was waiting. I'm sure. I'm sure. He wasn't going to incriminate himself, but he never said, I didn't do it. He didn't make a... The, he didn't react the way that I would assume an innocent man would react. Mm -hmm. Not at all. So there is there is one other person who testified, Michael Allison, a man who was in jail at the same time as Jerry for a drug offense. They became friendly behind bars, enough so that Michael asked him, did you do it? Jerry tells him, I can't talk about this. That's his answer. I can't, I can't talk about this. So not, no, I'm innocent. I've been wronged. And like, 
just can't talk about this. And apparently he told Michael, no matter what happens in court, he still wins because he had the opportunity to be out there with his family all of these years. Guilty. 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 He Guilty. got away with it that long. And he was so tired, he just couldn't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, and he he did win. And that sucks. He got, he got to away go with it for a long have... time. But ultimately, he was caught. I have to wonder if this was his only crime. Okay, so I talk about that a little bit, too. Yeah, so like I said, if you're innocent, you're beside yourself. I don't believe it for a minute, Jerry. Guilty as charged. Another moment during their time together, they were playing cards, and Michael said that during one game, Jerry told him that if he kept beating him, he'd have to take him to the mall. Mm-hmm. It disgusted Michael so much, he agreed to take the stand and testify against Jerry for the prosecution. Good for you, Michael. Yeah, because even he has morals. Yes. In some form. Thank you. Despite 40-year-old evidence, DNA was there. It was, it just wasn't on the car. You might be able to explain some kind of DNA transfer, but it was also on the dress. So in a very big way, Michelle helped solve her own murder, right? She fought back. Even though it took decades, the blood that was left behind was from her fighting. She, you know, she fought him off. And actually, I, I didn't put this in my story, but I remember that her, her friend Gail had mentioned that they took self-defense classes together. But how, when you're trapped in a car with a man with a knife. There's nothing you can do. No, I do remember from this story as well, if I'm remembering correctly, that her clothing wasn't stored properly. Do you remember reading anything about that? So -hmm. you're supposed to store each item of clothing separately, like underwear, dress or skirt, uh -uh. top, like everything's supposed to be Mm -hmm stored separately and this was not the case and they actually the defense tried to get it thrown out Hmm. because evidence wasn't stored properly no i didn't read that and all of everything that i read they just said that they took it from the evidence locker yeah it didn't say anything about how it was stored or anything like that so that's interesting i may have to follow up with that yeah i have to look i'm almost i'm almost a hundred percent positive that this was yeah we'll have to look at that so this leads me back to what you just said and I thought the same thing so I did some more digging and I looked at some uh, some other articles and the bigger question that I had was was Michelle Jerry's only victim because as we know killers like that they don't usually stop they don't even, even with a cooling off period they do it again no and I don't think Michelle is his first probably not and when interviewed I will note that Matt Denlinger agreed he said his gut tells him there's probably something else out there because he's too cool mm-hmm like, Jerry's yeah. too cool to, yeah. like, yeah, he's playing it cool. It's crazy. It's, uh But, but yeah, so then, as for Jerry, his arrest made people circle back as well, and they start wondering about his wife's suicide in 2008, and his cousin, Brian Burns, who vanished December 19th, 2013. That's crazy. How I didn't know that. crazy is that? That is crazy. Yeah. To the day. Oh. That's crazy. It gives me chills. It gives me chills, too. And during his interview with uh, Detective Denlinger, he randomly brings up the name Jody Husentrup. Do you know Jody Husentrup? I do not. She was a news anchor in Mason City, Iowa. Another young, beautiful blonde woman. Jody went missing in the morning of June 27, 1995, soon after telling a colleague that she had overslept and was running late for work. 
She was thought to have been abducted because there were signs of a struggle in the parking lot outside of her apartment. Oh. However, extensive investigations have failed to uncover any clues to her disappearance. Jodi was declared legally dead in 2001. It's very similar. Very similar. Two beautiful young girls abducted or killed in parking lots. And 16 years apart. How long was this going on, Jerry? Yeah. What is what what else do you have to hide? Upon a little more digging into the arrest of Jerry Burns, I found an article that mentioned the police had searched his computer and found a history of searches that included missing blonde women and pornographic material involving blonde women. Not that we're surprised. In his interview with Denlinger, he reminded Jerry that Michelle had been killed in 1979. He responded, "It was a big deal. I don't know ex- I don't exactly remember what happened." Seen something about Jody Hoosentrude recently. Oh my gosh. So he brings it up in the interview. <sighs> so, yeah. So there's no DNA, there is no DNA evidence in Jody's case either to tie Jerry to the crime. And Mason City won't discuss whether or not they are looking at him as a suspect, but the case is still active. We'll have to keep our eye on that. We one. will. So that is my story that I have for you today and here is the two I generations of police officers that story. right there. I there you know me. I love the fact that Jerry got what was coming. Oh, I knew you'd love it. And I just thought there were so many there were just so many things about this story that I wanted to tell. You know, the police department that didn't give up, the two generations of police officers. Yeah. I mean know, and these working pictures, together. How they look so oh. much Oh my gosh, isn't that amazing? I mean, how science can be so helpful to it's this. It's crazy. I, I was mean, shocked at the at, at how exact the pictures were. Yeah, that's that's insane. It's spot on. I wanna I wanna do it for everybody I know. I know that's not appropriate. But I know, right? <laughs> I know what you're doing for Christmas. No. Come on, um, Parabon, open up your line. Give us like a like a like a Black Friday deal next oh, year. Seriously. It's so awesome. Well, thank you for that story. Because you know how much I love when yeah, these bastards awesome. who think they got away with it for so it's long in science, near and dear to my heart. Mm-hmm. If I had time, I probably would have like combed through every cold case in Iowa just to see what I could find. But oh, now it I makes me want to go is. back. I, yeah, I'm sure police are doing it, it now. Yeah. I'm sure they're trying to figure it out and link. It takes a while to get all of this stuff put together, and he just went down this year, so much less to share it. Mm-hmm. So maybe in the in the coming years we'll we'll find out some more information. But at least he's tucked safely away behind bars and he can't do it again. Oh, what a piece of garbage! Well, yeah. way to go, Iowa. Yeah, we are proud of you. Yeah. Did you say that you had a couple things you forgot to tell me from the the Los Feliz case? I did. So, um, one of the things that I found out, which was really interesting, that I forgot to share was, so when you're selling a house in California, the real estate agent has to, well, I should say, if there was a murder in the home, mm-hmm. has to tell you about the events within a three-year time period. Okay. After three years, they don't have to disclose that information anymore, mm-hmm. okay. which I thought was important. I totally forgot to leave that out. But remember when I talked about, like, about Bloom, how she bought the home, and yeah, 60 years later, she knew what had happened in the home, obviously, but technically no one had to tell her. Right. Well, it just makes you think about these lesser known situations. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I don't think I'd want to be moving into a murder house. I don't think so. I mean, I guess if you don't know, but I just thought it was interesting that 
I mean, how often does this happen that we have to have a law? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In place. Now I'm curious what Illinois' law is. Yeah. I don't know. I have to start looking around and seeing <laughs> what everybody's laws up. are. Um, that you have to have a law in place that tells yeah. you whether Shit, something. Jen, maybe we're not moving. Oh my gosh, <laughs> you never know. Yeah. I yeah. guess that's. I thought that was kind of crazy. Um. Yeah. Oh well, I'm gonna have to keep that in mind. You know, I'm gonna be asking every. Every, if we look at any other houses, I'm going to be like, so, first question. So, what's going on? Was there any, like, interesting <laughs> situations that happened here? Yeah. Um, Do they have to put, like, that little sign up there that says, not haunted? <laughs> right? <laughs> I love that. Not haunted. I not haunted. Don't worry. It's fine. Nothing to see here. <laughs> um, oh, and then I have a crazy story. Um, I guess this is kind of like a flip the script. Okay, good. Yeah. Maybe not so much. So oh. obviously it's a pandemic. We're all sad. We're home. The children, Julia was actually laying on the floor, rolling side to side the other day, saying that she needs to see people. <laughs> she's she's such a social creature. She is like the mayor. Yeah. She needs she people. So she was like, I need people. Um, but I was talking with one of my patients and um she was an older patient and she was talking to me and obviously their perspective of the pandemic is very different than Mm -hmm. our perspective because she was very much like we need to be grateful we have food you have people that can deliver your groceries you have water you can be safe most people can work from home yeah what is the problem and I listened and she told me a story about her father who um, was in kindergarten during the smallpox epidemic. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, so two of his twins classmates died from smallpox and their house was quarantined, not his house, but the children that passed away was quarantined and um, mother father obviously the two boys had passed away sister they could not leave the home there was no at this point no running water no electricity you can't get food like she was putting things very much into perspective and the funeral home wouldn't even take the boys bodies and they actually, and I guess this was common at the time, and I don't know if maybe I read this before, and I didn't know, and I kind of blocked it out, but they actually put the boys in, like, the dad made, like, homemade coffins and propped each one of the boys up in the front window of the home. <gasps> what? And the neighbors, including his kindergarten, the kindergarten class, came oh. to pay their respects in a form of a funeral. Oh my gosh. So Holy sad. I and that's just I don't even know what word to use. Right? That's oh my god. That's insane. So they would have these these funerals or yeah. memorials with the bodies upright in a handmade coffin in their windows so people could come and, could pay, come respect and pay their respects and to let the families know like yeah. we're thinking of you we know what you're going through but when we say quarantine we mean quarantine like these people could not leave their home not even obviously yeah. there's not gas stations then but i mean right, there was right. nothing 
So basically yeah. what my patient was telling me was like, you guys are soft. Mm-hmm. This pandemic that, is easy. Yeah. And that just kind of a flip the script, really put things into perspective mm-hmm. once yeah. again, because we know we, we're healthy, we're yeah. fed, we can get groceries, we have electricity, we have running water, we have all of the things that we truly need. We're missing out on things that mm-hmm. we feel are vital. Mm-hmm. But generations ago, they they think we're soft, people. They yeah. think we're soft. Well, I, I mean, we all know that we're, right? Like, other countries are... They say Isn't you are quarantined and you cannot leave your home or you will you be stoned or wet. shot yeah. or, you know, come on. But like, isn't that crazy? I was like, oh my gosh. So her, so her dad was telling the story because he went to school with those two little boys mm-hmm. and that's how they oh, wow. paid their respect. So it's kind of like a sad flip the script, but yeah. not so much. Yeah. Kind of a reminder well, to us. it's kind of like a, like, hey, your blessings. you can still have your groceries delivered. Yeah. It's yeah. okay. There's a way around it. There's. You could probably sit outside and no one's going to throw stones at you mm-hmm. on your own porch. Yeah. Sorry. That was somber, but. No, but that's. Interesting. No, that's. I appreciate that. That perspective from. I, I think it's. It happened so long ago that a lot of people probably don't know about that or remember or, you know. Yeah. So. Do you have anything else going on? Any, any flip the script on your end? You got a new garage door. So you can get in and out of your house. Yes, we can. Um, so that was a fun Christmas gift to our family. <laughs> Five hundred dollar garage door replacement. They had to replace the whole system because they don't make it anymore, apparently. So because your house is incredibly house old. Is so old, Sarah. Yeah. Like thirty years old. Oh my gosh, your house is like eight years old. <laughs> I know. No, it's not even that old. Not even no. They just don't make things the way they used to, though, right? I no, mean, it's the same thing so, with, like, refrigerators. Mm-hmm. It used to be they would, I mean, my grandmother's refrigerator. Oh, yeah. It's got to be older than my mom. They're amazing. <laughs> I want those old retro, yes. And ours is two years the old. The old vacuum and it is cleaners. a piece of freaking garbage. Yeah. It is yeah. a garbage. Oh, yeah. And it costs so much money. All of our shit's garbage. Like, it the... Is dishwasher the oh washers gosh, and don't dryers get me started that, on the dishwasher i can't i can't it's just oh my gosh they just don't well and that's the other thing that we were talking about so because since we we're like dabbling in the possibility of moving and there's nothing there's like zero on the market and i was talking with my aunt and she's like aren't there any of the old houses around like you know with character and built in like the 40s and i said no our whole area is so new that really, there's nothing like that here. Not, not here. Not, not in west. our in, district. In our this district. this is newly developed. Correct. Correct. So the, I wanted more. one of those houses. Yes, me too. Steve calls them a money pit. And you have to, those, those, you have to find the sweet spot, according yeah. to Steve. Okay. Because those <laughs> ones are old, and they need other electrical redone, and they need to be, they have, uh, like, newspaper is insulation, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. those houses are not going to do you any good either, because... You're going to have to redo the whole thing. You're right. So you need to find that sweet spot. Yeah. Which, unfortunately, for us is like the 80s. Yeah. And those houses are well built. Yes. But they need to be remodeled. They need to be remodeled. So So that's a different kind of money pit. Well, that's a different money pit. Mm -hmm. Because remodeling and just superficial stuff is 
it's expensive, but it's nothing like having to redo the, your entire electrical work no, in your home. No, definitely not. Or plumbing or whatever you have to do. Absolutely. 100% yeah. agree. But at the same time, it's like, ah, oh, you know, you, by the time you get one of these older houses, they're still not cheap. They hold their value because they they're well-built. Yeah. yeah. And then you, then you have to then take cash to do the remount and then it's, and then you have to have the time. Well, and you yeah. can build it into your loan, but. Yeah. But you know what you I mean? Don't we don't have time for that shit. We can't even find time to podcast after. We time. bought this house in three <laughs> days. You did. <laughs> you, you don't did. have to tell me about that. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, the cabinets are nice. We'll take it. You're like, send me three more pictures. Okay, yeah, sign us up for that as you guys are moving from the Carolinas. Yeah, like, it was great. Fingers crossed that we just yeah. needed a place to live. And then but look at the neighborhood you're in. Everybody we're, it's is great. so yeah. amazing. And we're happy here. It's the house yes. is a little bit smaller than. It's not smaller than what I wanted. It's what I wanted, but mm-hmm. at times, it feels small. Mm-hmm. Like you just well, right now since we're all in quarantine, you wish there was more places for people to probably scatter and go and just kind of do their thing, right? I mean, that's kind of how I feel at our house. Yes and no. So like when I'm working on our podcast and I want everyone to go away, <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. I want everyone to go away. Yeah. But at the same time, when Stella's on her device or Julia's on her device, I don't want them to have another room to hide on, mm-hmm. hide in, because I'm nosy and I have to see everything that they're doing. Well, you have to. You have to be on top of them these days. So they there. really want the basement finished. Mm-hmm. Steve is pushing to finish the basement, mm-hmm. and I don't want the basement finished because, I, for one, I don't need another place to keep clean or find, mm-hmm. you know, ice cream bowls or whatever <laughs> the hell that goes on in when I'm at work. But I also don't want them a place to retreat. Like... Our years with them are very few. Mm. I need to see your face. Mm-hmm. I don't need a place for you to hide out. Yeah. So there's times where, like I said, I need, I wish I could just have a couple minutes of peace and quiet. But I'm very happy that our house is smaller than what it was. I'm happy we downsized. Yeah. You know what? Uh, we should say happy birthday to Trish. We just, uh, we just, yeah, it's we her just, 40th just and dropped off her gift. Yeah. Hope you're having a fabulous birthday, Trish. Oh, you're so sweet, Trish. We so love you. Sweet, right? You're amazing. You make uh, work better and our neighborhood <sighs> neighbors, better. And neighbors are. Thank you for always looking yeah. out for all of us. Yeah. And what else? I think that's it. But if you, yeah. we would love to hear from all of you guys. So find us on Facebook. Yes. The Wicked Ones um, has a Facebook page. So just, it's really just the Wicked mm-hmm. Ones podcast podcast and then the same for instagram the wicked ones podcast we're really our, i'm like i believe our website's the yeah, same the wicked ones podcast.com <laughs> i mean there's really not a lot of change up here we want you to find us and uh we and kept it consistent hey. yeah it's easy uh, for you and then um, one day i don't know we might be on twitter i don't that's just crazy but until then there's plenty of other places for you to find us so please yeah. do so we can uh come say hey here we want to hear what you want to hear yes we do and yeah give us some ideas and suggestions tell us some crazy stories love to have something where we could just share at the end of maybe an episode here and there something from our listeners kind of like what i heard from my patient yeah you know give me a story the maybe. story of yeah your patient story and then the one um, that you shared a couple weeks ago with uh, oh my co-worker yes, i know my people are amazing these stories are awesome and they're you have want, to have some yeah. of these stories people share them. send them to us we want to we want to give we want to tell them back out. to you yeah we do okay all right until so, next time yeah until next time y'all just have a great i said y'all didn't i
She loves her, y'all. <laughs> I do. I do. I secretly want to be Southern. So y'all have a good, good rest of your week. And we will see you next time. Until then. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye-bye.